0: In today's Greenlight episode, I will speak with Andrea Lukey, Executive Director of Cleantech Leaders Roundtable and former President and Executive Director at the Solar Foundation, now IREC. Andrea and I will speak about her new role at CTLR, angel investing in Cleantech, and how CTLR is supporting underrepresented founders and CEOs. I will also speak with Andrea about how she transitioned from the Peace Corps in Morocco to Cleantech as well as what it was like to spearhead Clean Energy for America's inaugural ball, which had 3000 attendees and raised $200,000 for environmental justice organizations. Thanks for tuning into the green light. Now let's dive in. I'm Catherine McLean, founder and CEO of Dylan Green. And today I have with me Andrea Lukey. Welcome Andrea. Hi Catherine, how are you? Good. Thank you. Good. Andrea is joining us from Rhode Island. I think she's my first podcast guest that I've had from Rhode Island. Welcome. We have a
1: population of uh, 2,000, <laughs> so I may be your first and last. First and last, yeah. <laughs> so
0: I want to talk a bit about some of your career history and then obviously what your current position is now as the Executive Director of CTLR, for those who may know, the Clean Tech Leaders Roundtable. So you started off at the city of Milwaukee to the Solar Foundation, which is now Interstate Renewable Energy Council. Tell us a little bit about your very impressive background and about your new role, which congratulations, by the way.
1: Oh, thanks. Impressive. Uh, It always makes me chuckle when somebody says I have an impressive background. (laughs) I have very humble roots. (laughs) I uh, grew up in rural Wisconsin, um, Mm -hmm. hiking, biking, riding horses. I lived in the very, very beautiful driftless area and went to public school. And as soon as I was old enough, I got the heck out of there and did a lot of international travel. Had a lot of adventures Mm -hmm. in public school. And then, yeah, eventually I had some career success. But yeah, it's been a little bit of a circular path. There was definitely no roadmap for me to follow. I didn't have any mentors, not a lot of guidance, paved my own way. And definitely at some point we uh, should. Grab a glass of wine, and I'll tell you about the story when I uh, walked home from Central Mexico. So, oh, wow. a <laughs> lot, lot of good adventures, but no, really, um, no, no linear career trajectory. But the common thread is that I've always been a social entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. From the very beginning, I was interested in rainforest conservation, then international development, then solar research and education and then now clean tech community and ecosystem buildings. It's been really awesome. It's been a a wonderful sort of circular journey and it's really forced me to embrace change and also trust in my abilities to transform and to design the life that I want, Mm -hmm. uh, that I wanna lead. And so it's been great, but yes, as you suggested, most people know me from when I was president and executive director of the Solar Foundation. I did that for over 10 years moved lots of mountains made a big mark i'm really proud of all of that work but those mountains they were very heavy yeah <laughs> i'm still a little tired <laughs> from <carrying laughs> all those mountains um, so after 10 years i did make a conscious decision to step down in order to take care of my own health and the health of my family i have a nine-year-old daughter who needed me and of course uh some aging parents and it was a global pandemic and change was all around so so yeah. I initiated the change, and I knew that the Solar Foundation would be in, in great hands with IREC. I personally go way back with IREC, with Jane Wiseman and uh, Joe Ruby and all of the workforce OGs over at IREC. So I've, I've known them forever. And there's just a lot of mission alignment between the Solar Foundation and IREC. Plus, IREC knows how to manage federal funds, and that was the bulk of our funding. And so- right they were really a natural fit to absorb our programs and and staff. And it made leaving that much easier because I really loved it. I loved the Solar Foundation. It was my baby. I raised it. (laughs) (laughs) I needed a break, and I was really eager to take some time off and explore new opportunities. And so in my year off, I hiked a lot. I became a a yoga practitioner. I got back involved with Rainforest, a nonprofit that I helped to start in high school when I was a student activist. I did some coaching and some consulting on the side, and and that that sort of got me into the Clean Tech Leaders Roundtable because I was a consultant Mm -hmm. to uh, Clean Tech Leaders Roundtable in my year off. I was the head organizer for them for the Clean Energy for America Mm inaugural ball. Oh, nice. I remember that. I was there. Yeah, Yeah, that was a big smash. So we had over 3,000 attendees. It was a virtual event to commemorate the election and the inauguration of President Biden and Vice President Harris. 3,000 people were there and we had literally rock stars, Billie Eilish, Akon, Bob Weir, it was amazing. And it was so successful, so epic that we were able to donate $200,000 of our proceeds to 10 environmental justice nonprofits via the Solutions Project. So it was just a smashing success and then Jigger Shaw, who with Jacob, Jake Suspin, they founded the Cleantech Leaders Roundtable. Jigger tapped me to replace him on the board because he was headed off to DOE to mm-hmm. head up their loan programs office. And so I replaced Jigger. <laughs> I, can't like replace Jigger. I, I always think
0: that there shouldn't be a Shaw after it. He should just be like Madonna or something, yeah. like Prince, <laughs> like just, just Jigger.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I, I you know, those are tough shoes to follow. That's for certain. But yeah, I'm, no pressure, right? But I, they needed they needed somebody who uh, they needed a, a willing sucker, <laughs> and they oh, <laughs> they <laughs> found me. So I was on the board for doing some board work, uh, but it became increasingly clear that the Clean Tech Leaders Roundtable really needed more attention, more active staff mm-hmm. support. It was being supported on a part-time basis by the clean energy business network mm-hmm. and yep. she's a rock star and yep. super impressive but she was wearing two hats and you know how that goes and so yep. I was invited to to help relieve her of those duties because it was just too much and you know CTLR has so much potential and uh, so I after much negotiation and discussion with with Jigger and Jake, I was convinced to to come on board and, and be the first full time executive director, and and that's where we're, where we are now.
0: Nice. Well, I'm really excited about it. I've really enjoyed being a part of it. I mean, a lot of it involves food and drink, which is something I'm very passionate about. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> But I just, like, I've been to a few of the events now, and I just really enjoy it. I just think it's such a great, it's such a great mix of people. And I always, like, learn something and meet people and learn things that I didn't know about before, like, in the industry. And I don't know, I just always find it, like, um, just really worthwhile.
1: Well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I agree with you. It's got a lot of potential. The, the caliber of the people that we are. Yeah working with is exceptional i mean we are talking about the very best the the very brightest world-class entrepreneurs and investors and we have a huge community of investors and and you know bringing those two groups together a lot of magic can happen and so that's that's what i'm trying to curate and, and, and create in this new role at the clean tech leaders roundtable
0: so i want to talk a little bit about you were in the peace corps as a volunteer, I've noticed that this is comes up quite a bit in our space, that people started their journey in the Peace Corps. I guess that goes back to being just very mission-driven from an early age. And you were in Morocco, which sounds absolutely amazing. And you did your undergrad degree in cultural studies and literature when you were there. How did that turn into a career in clean tech then?
1: Exactly. It's like all seemingly unrelated. <laughs> pretty random, but yeah, I lived overseas actually for seven years. I lived in Mexico and Ecuador and Spain and Morocco. Mm -hmm. I learned Spanish and Arabic and Berber. I still speak Spanish, but I pretty much forgot all of my Arabic and Berber, (laughs) Um, but I always wanted to join the Peace Corps and, and be a cultural attaché. That was my thing. And, you know, Morocco is exotic, it's different, it's an extraordinary country. It's got the Mediterranean and the Atlantic, it's got three mm-hmm. mountain chains, it's got the Sahara Desert, and some of the most exceptional, ex- welcoming people on the planet. And I lived there in Morocco for almost three years. And mm-hmm. you know, my ties to Morocco they run very deep. My daughter is half Moroccan, mm-hmm. and she goes back with her dad to visit family almost every year for an extended amount of time Mm -hmm. and aside from that Morocco is really where I discovered I say discovered (laughs) solar (laughs) there was a group and it's fairly defunct now struggling but in the early tens or in the I don't even know how to say in the late (laughs) o's yeah the late 2000s there was a group called desert tech and they are a consortium of governments and major companies that wanted to put massive csp plants in the saharan desert to export the power to europe and presumably cities in north africa and central africa and i just thought that was the coolest thing in the world and at that point and this was back in 2005 or something i heard the statistic that. You know one hour of solar power is all we need for all of the earth's power needs for an entire year and I, that just blew my mind and I, yeah. I couldn't get over that of course you know just a sun worshiper like everybody else the sun is fantastic and i just couldn't get over the potential so it was really really there in morocco that i decided to go back to school get my master's my master's in business, nonprofit specialization, and my dream was to be the executive director of an environmental organization, maybe a solar nonprofit, mm-hmm. and I, I chose to attend grad school in Milwaukee because it was free, and I'm cheap. <laughs> <laughs> I received a fellowship which covered all of my costs, and I also, um, through this fellowship, I was paid to work at the city of milwaukee running their solar energy program milwaukee shines so i was like check check this is great you know perfect alignment and then of course when my grad program was over so was my contract with the city Mm -hmm. and so i was really at that time ready to be recruited and I was instantly recruited by the Solar Foundation, um, and I worked my dream job for 10 years, and it it was a great, very uh, synergistic uh, time in my life. Mm
0: -hmm. That's great. I love that. I mean, it was sort of your, like, aha moment, wasn't it? Like, ah, this is it. This is what I want to do.
1: Yeah. I also
0: feel like it's good sometimes to, like, let your travels take you different places and keep an open mind to what you want to be when you grow up if you like I always say like life is what happens when you're making plans for it just keep an open mind like because the journey is happening all around you all the time I think some p- people get so focused on like their plan it's so
1: good to travel good to see the world it's so that's important that's where it's at <laughs> so
0: important so you were talking about previously running City of Milwaukee Solar um, Energy Program, Milwaukee Shines, which was funded through the U.S. Department of Energy wow. Solar America Cities Initiative. You also, when you were there, put together one of the nation's first PACE programs. How did your work there sort of later influence your work at the Solar Foundation, such as like the Soul Smart program, for example?
1: Yeah, it was really a very smooth transition. The city of Milwaukee was one of 25 Solar America cities. DOE had this big program. Mm-hmm. They awarded 25 cities, and those 25 cities received a lot of special attention from the labs, like NREL and Sandia. We received, me and all the other leaders of the 24 the 24 other cities, we received all of this attention, like technical assistance, help doing all these site assessment reports, and we did a manufacturing study in Milwaukee, we, we had a lot of policy support. And it was it was amazing. I was very fortunate. I greatly benefited from that the city of Milwaukee greatly benefited from that. It really allowed Milwaukee, uh, which is an inconspicuous, rust Belt mm-hmm. city in the middle of nowhere, to really form an edge mm-hmm. policy and, and programs. And, and this is an edge that they continue to build on today. So like all of these cities that were solar america cities we were all tasked with implementing low cost and no cost financing programs and we decided at the city of milwaukee to do pace and we were one of the the nation's first pace programs pace just really clicked with our city council because it was something that they could control themselves through the assessor's office but we also did zoning and building codes and we also really learned to think about economic development through the lens of solar. Right. And all of that is what I sort of took back with me to this, you know, or, or took with me to the Solar Foundation. And when that funding opportunity from the Department of Energy hit for SolSmart, I was like first in line to apply. <laughs> Basically, in a matter of two hours, Philip Haddix, Alex Wynn and I, we have formed our team. We put together this incredible team and we wrote a proposal, and we won $10 million. And that was a lot of money. That's that's a lot Um, of money now. It is. But I mean, it seems like there's zeros now on everything. Like everything is just exponentially growing so quickly. But yes, we got a $10 million grant, and we were so good about implementing the grant that it's now since been renewed and expanded and extended numerous times, multiple times. And it all kind of stems back from because SoulSmart is all about policies and programs for local governments. And so it all Mm -hmm. stems back to my work. I don't want to take credit for everything, but definitely my work at the city of Milwaukee was foundational for giving us that baseline knowledge so that we could run some programs on the sort of soft cost reduction, city and county, local government uh, implementation side. And then, yeah, like I said, when SoulSmart hit that funding opportunity, we were like on it (laughs) and we got it right away. And that really kick-started us. That created an enormous amount of growth. We more than tripled in size overnight. We had a lot of uh, Hurdles, then, of course, compliance issues, staffing issues, and then, you know, the job got a lot less fun, but it was also, we were making a difference and having an impact. SoulSmart, its objective was to get 300 cities and counties to become solar friendly, Mm -hmm. work with us, make some changes, create a market. Uh, friendly marketplace for solar and solar companies. Mm -hmm. And now we're talking about 500, 600 cities and counties. It is just going gangbusters. And it's, it's one of the most successful programs, I think, that's come out of the soft cost side of DOE's solar program ever.
0: That's amazing. Really amazing. I want to talk about, as a lot of people know, I'm very passionate about diversity within our industry. But You've obviously been a champion of this long before it was talked about in such depth as it is now. So you spent many years at the Solar Foundation, rec, as we're now calling it. In fact, I believe you were the first employee at the Solar Foundation, as you've mentioned. And looking back in your time there, some of the accomplishments that you're most proud of, I would assume, would be something like the Soul Smart program. But, but personally, I'm a big fan of this kind of solar job census and diversity study. I actually think I have it on my website. If you notice, I don't know if you notice. I'm
1: glad to hear that. I have
0: that. See <laughs> in as C- C- information as well, because they've done a lot around this uh, topic as well. I really want to hear about how this came about for you. Like, when was that moment you sort of felt like this needs to be talked about? It's not being talked about. We need to have some data. Walk me through that.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I was the first employee. Grew it from zero, literally at a $0 budget, no staff, no Mm -hmm. endowment, nothing, and grew it to $6 million at our peak before I left and spun it into IREC. Super proud of all of the work, SoulSmart, the work that we did in Puerto Rico through Solar Saves Lives, Mm -hmm. uh, the Solar Schools, the National Solar Schools Consortium. I mean, we're just an incredibly prolific organization. But the thing that I love the most is the solar job census. It presented the most opportunity. It was the biggest gap that needed to be filled. And that jobs messaging, I knew from my work at the city of Milwaukee, resonates with politicians and yeah. political leaders. And you don't talk about climate, don't talk about environment. You know, we, we could talk with each other about that. But when it comes to getting policies passed, The only way is to talk about it through that economic and jobs lens. And so from the very beginning, we knew that the solar job census was going to be something. And it was at first in the first year, it was just this tiny little report. I barely had enough money to even do a national number. Um, And the first number was like 93,000 solar workers in 2010. And then got some good media attention. People were like, oh, this is good. And the methodology looks good. And we we hired BW Research Partnership to do the methodology and the stats on the back end. And they did an amazing job all throughout. And super defensible, highly credible methodology. And and then I had to go to war with everybody, the, the EEI and all of the naysayers and really defend the methodology. But we were able to defend it And that attracted attention and resources. And my goal with it was to get statistically significant solar jobs numbers for all 50 states. And I thought, wow, if we could do that, that's just amazing. We not only did that, we actually were able to get statistically significant for all Districts, federal and congressional districts in all 50 states. So we had tens of thousands of statistically significant data numbers right. that were just incredibly useful and were used in nearly every policy proceeding, legislative briefing and hearing, and used by SIA, used by Vote Solar, and everybody. And it just was such an important piece of our messaging. And it really, I think, helped to unlock some political support for not just solar, but for renewables writ large. Mm -hmm. And certainly it inspired the Department of Energy's UCER report series, which tracks jobs across the energy sector. And yeah, so it was great. I was so proud of that work. Um, That is where we first started tracking um, the number of women, uh, people of color, veterans, union labor in the solar industry and that of course inspired the subsequent solar industry diversity study that i spearheaded a long time ago before it was cool <laughs> and do you, do you think we're making progress i think we're making a lot of progress yeah i think we're making a tremendous amount of progress i don't know if the numbers are showing it per se i think that at the end of the day it's all about the numbers yeah uh, but i think that company culture has changed and is changing, yeah. and is way more accepting and receptive uh, to single moms and mothers and women and people of color and people from different backgrounds, people with accents. And I think that we're just becoming a lot more inclusive as an industry, yeah. vis-a-vis our culture. And so that's that's terrific, and I love that. And that's uh, in part what I am infusing into the Clean Tech Leaders Roundtable. So our industry has been traditionally very male-dominated. Certainly, a lot of the membership and the community in the Cleantech Leaders Roundtable is male, and we're, we're trying to change that, and we're also trying to encourage and support through access to capital, access to opportunity, access to people, underrepresented founders and CEOs in the cleantech space.
0: Well, I have to say, I was absolutely... Lord. When I went to the CTLR event in DC a few weeks ago, the event during the day that you had um sort of the lunch and the round table itself, I couldn't believe how many women were there. And it was, I mean, heavy hitter women. Like these are like powerful women. These aren't like junior people. These were leaders in their in their field women. And I was just really impressed with that. Because I think there has been so much progress with thing with rise wcs and there's all these different women's organizations now that women can lean into hawthorne club chief on and on on, but i think sometimes as a woman you want to just be in a conversation with just a mix of of both right and i think that's what i really felt at that event a few weeks ago it was just a really nice mix of both people represented but gender's
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And and I work really hard trying to make sure that we have nice balance and, you know, it's a work in progress. So, you know, we're not there, but we will be. We are making conscious, concerted efforts every day.
0: Andrea, so what are you most looking forward to working on in your new role at CTLR?
1: Well, aside from all of the Fun dinner events (laughs) (laughs) and the forums, uh, which I love because I love the business networking. I just, yeah, it really, you know, gives me a lot of energy, but I think I would say the two things that I am most excited about are angel investment initiative and our support for underrepresented founders and CEOs through our Telx Mm -hmm. uh, fellowship. In terms of the angel, we call it CTLR angels. We Mm -hmm did a lot of strategy sessions, you were part of our strategy sessions, and our group highly recommended forming an angel investment platform. We are constantly receiving pitches from companies and we are in the room with some of the most visionary leaders and also some of the most deep-pocketed investors. Mm -hmm. A lot of high net worth individuals are in our community. And so we really see it as a an opportunity to fill some gaps. We see that angel investing can serve as a bridge for companies as they try to cross that valley of death. And without angel investing at the seed stage, a lot of these companies, companies that are trying to scale tried and true technologies, technologies that we know work and we right. need, they will go out of business because they're not at the phase where they can attract traditional banking, even green banks, VCs, private equity. So angel investing is, I think, a really important place for our group to plug in. And we're actively rolling that out. We're looking for partners. We're actively seeking pitches. People can follow up with me if they're interested in either pitching, investing, partnering. Like I said, the Telx Fellowship is really good. We're doing that in partnership with the Clean Energy Business Network. Last year, we rolled out our first cohort, and we received more than 60 applications. We awarded seven fellowships to seven lucky individuals, and what we provide them is access to people, access to opportunity. We showcase them. We feature them. We provide them with mentorship from some of our more experienced founders, CEOs, CXOs, And we are doing it again. We're going to do it every year. We've got a new cohort that we're rolling out. We'll have applications available. July will be probably when we're accepting applications. Mm -hmm. And then we will be announcing the fiscal year 2022 cohort in early fall. So definitely check our website for that. And uh, we're excited to continue supporting the TELCS fellows um, in perpetuity.
0: That's great. Thank you so much, Andrea.
1: Oh, yes, you're welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to the Greenlight Podcast. Are you looking for your next role in climate tech? Join the latest growing network of clean tech professionals and be the first to know about when industry-leading clean tech companies first post new job openings, from development to finance to marketing, by checking out our website, dylan-green.com slash latest hyphen jobs dylan green is transforming business through talent you can also find us on youtube where we engage with today's top clean energy leaders